you know, closing those disparities and those gaps and being included meaningfully. That's my part of inclusion that when Morgan's talking that I say, just because they have a seat at the table, are you engaging them in a meaningful way? That's the next step, right? Is making sure that that somebody isn't just there, but then are they there for a reason? And, and that's important to include as well. You're listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, brought to you by University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. In this series, we'll explore a variety of well-being topics with experts from the university community in physical, emotional, nutritional, and financial health. Join us, and together we'll discover how we can thrive at work, home, and beyond. Hello there, listener. Welcome to another episode of Becoming Wildly Resilient. I'm your host, Jacob Hester, and I'm thankful you're listening in. The voice you heard at the beginning belongs to Lindsay Mullis. Lindsay is the Program Director for the Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative at the University of Kentucky Human Development Institute. In the opening clip, Lindsay also referenced our other guest for the episode, Morgan Turner. Morgan works with Lindsay as a Program Education Assistant for the Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative. Both have a wealth of knowledge working at the intersection of well-being and disability. You'll hear about their experiences with disability and how they are working to foster more inclusive environments for everyone. Some of what you'll learn includes what the term disability is and how to talk about it in an inclusive way, what people often get wrong about disability and why assumptions can be problematic, and how we can all help create more inclusive environments and become better allies for disability. I can't wait for you to hear and learn from Lindsay and Morgan's stories. But before you do, this is your nudge to hit the follow button in your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss any future episodes. I get to do this because people like you continue to listen, so I appreciate everyone who follows along each month and reaches out with suggestions or feedback. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lindsay Mullis and Morgan Turner. Welcome, Lindsay and Morgan. I'm so glad to have you both on the show. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so excited to be here. So can you first tell us a little bit about yourselves, about what sort of makes you you? What are the, the unique things about you? Yeah, I'll go first. So my name is Morgan Turner. I'm a program education assistant at the University of Kentucky's Human Development Institute. I'm a Special Olympics athlete, athlete ambassador, and health messenger for Special Olympics. And I was born with abnormal legs, abnormal left hand, and hydrocephalus. And so I have an eclectic background. I started in psychology and then exercise science and moved on to health promotion. And I've always been interested in uh, the interconnection of the body and the mind and really focused on, on people with disabilities and how that interplayed there. And so I got a certificate in developmental disabilities in my graduate program, and then I'm currently pursuing my PhD in health education sciences with a focus on sexuality and disability, which is a fun topic. Another podcast topic, if you <laughs> uh, And so that's you know that's my background and, and my passion in in what I do and makes me an academic. But then uh, also too, I am the mother to a very lovely young lady, Caroline, who experiences Down syndrome. We adopted her when she was three years old 
and brought her home. And uh, I had her sister, Marcella, five days before my husband left for China, actually, to bring Caroline home. Um, And so I get to also be a parent advocate that's also passionate as well as a health professional. And Caroline, in addition to her Down syndrome, also experiences adverse childhood experiences due to being in the orphanage and laying in a crib for the first three years of her life. And so I really learned a lot um, about health and wellness and disability. And I do that in a professional and a personal way. I'm really excited to dive into both of your all stories because that'll be kind of a key piece of the first part of our conversation about your experiences um, and how that applies in that intersection of well-being. Um, But Lindsay's another one of those guests where our paths have crossed a few times over the years. I think you were one of my original advisors um, back (laughs) back in the uh, mid to late 2000s, if I'm going to date us now. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and you've worked with my wife on a few projects. She's also mm-hmm. been on the show. So um, one of those full circles. We've had a, a class or two together as well. Um, so yeah, it's always fun to, to get people on here that I have um, some familiarity with too. So uh, like I said, I'm excited to dive in. But I've also got a short segment that I like to do at the beginning of these conversations where I pull out a random conversation starter um, and all the guests um, and myself will answer it. So I'm going to pull one out here at random and we'll, we'll go for it. Hope it's a good one. Yeah, let's see what we get. Would you rather be a great musician, artist, or athlete? Oh, that's an easy one for me. I would much rather be an athlete, professional athlete. Yeah, you mentioned the Special Olympics already and being a, an athlete, so I had a feeling that was where your answer was going. <laughs> yes, sir. I love, love sports. They're definitely a huge part of my life. What about you, Lindsay? Same. I don't want to be an athlete. I am a dancer. That's my my sport of choice ever since I was four years old. And so as I'm getting older, now that you've you outed me, um, I admit I do miss that. I miss being being an avid dancer. We do dance parties. Me and my kiddos have almost nightly dance parties. That's one of my favorite parts of my day. So. I'd like to also point out that sports for the listeners, my Sports are a huge part of my life because I don't think I mentioned it before, but I wear prosthetics on both legs. So being active is literally part of my life because if I get real, real big and not healthy, then I won't be able to wear my prosthetics. What's your what's your favorite sport then since we're on the topic? Ooh. Favorite sports to compete in. Oh, okay. Favorite sport to compete in is probably uh, softball. And then favorite sport to watch is a tie between uh, basketball and football. Awesome. This answer is really hard for me. Um, Those who have been listening along know that we've talked about music quite a bit. Uh, There's an ending segment of this is related to music. So we know that's a passion of mine. And I've I've mentioned multiple times on here that I used to coach track and field um, at the collegiate level. So. This one's a tough one for me, and I think I'm going to shake it up. I actually think I would rather be a great musician over being an athlete. So um, I'll go I'll go a little bit against the grain, but I would imagine that people who know me well enough know that um, neither one of those answers would be too terribly shocking. <laughs> I don't think you can go wrong with any of those answers. Yeah, exactly. If you're great at something, you've made it either way. Right. <laughs> all right. So can you all tell us a little bit about like what you do for HDI as well? Yeah. So I work at HDI 
across several projects that focus on health employment, supported higher education with which helped students with disabilities be successful in college and just whatever else the team need me needs me to do, I'll I'll do it. Yeah, Morgan's a celebrity. We we whenever we you know anybody has a chance to say, oh hey, maybe Morgan wants to be a part of a part of this, they always ask him. And Morgan's also our our resident yes man. So we've been trying to teach him that it's okay to say no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes I sometimes I'll I'll uh text or email the team and say, hey, someone wants me to do this, but I kind of have a lot on my plate. Is it okay if I say no? And we're all like, yes, you say no. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're saying no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I mean, I can't, I can't blame him. Morgan is incredible in so many ways, so charismatic and just really wonderful. I love thinking back about how you and I met Morgan and I know this is a little bit off of your question, Jacob. But I think it's 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 a valuable part of the story is that I was doing a health program in the community that we called Health Partners. It was for people with disabilities and their partner. So a dyad approach. It could be a family member or a friend or a paid caregiver. And they both went through the health program together and developed independent health goals, but then helped each other because us in the health field or, or not, we know. So if somebody's there to hold you accountable, you're going to be more successful at your health goals. And so it was a really great program. And that's how I met Morgan. And he was wonderful. It was fun. I got to meet his mom. And then at the end of it, he said, Hey, like I really enjoyed being a part of this. If you need a volunteer, I'd love to help out as you, you know, offer more classes around the state. And HDI said, Well, how about we give you a paycheck? <laughs> Which is great. And especially for individual with disabilities. That's not often a thing that happens. And so Morgan is a full-time employee at the university uh, and he he works more hours a week than I do and, and gets paid at the proper salary rate. And that's a really important and incredible thing about Morgan and the work that he does at HDI. And so I just wanted to fill that in for your story, Mo. Oh, thank you, Lindsay. And yes, I've been here, which, wow, we, me and Lindsay talked about it last week, I think that it's been eight years or so. I was way off. I would tell people, oh, it's been like four or five years, but that is, that was way off. So Time flies when you're having fun at work, right? That's that's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah, I realize I'm using the acronym HDI. And so I should definitely explain that. Um, if that's okay. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah. And so HDI, where we work, is the Human Development Institute. And that is the University of Kentucky's University Center for Excellence in Disabilities, or the one for the state of Kentucky. But there are more one of those in each state uh, across the nation. And we were established in 1969. So we've been around for half a century. And we um, work at the university under the um, office of the executive vice president. So we're not a part of the college or our own entity. And um, I really like to mention that we were all grant funded for all of our projects and we focus uh, for supporting individuals with disabilities across the lifespan. And we actually bring in the second highest amount of funds under the medical side of the university, which is really cool. But a lot of folks don't know about HDI and our presence on campus or across the state. So this is a really great opportunity to be on this podcast and talk about our work that we do as a part of our health team, which is called the Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative. That's what I run 
um, at HCI, but HCI's mission is so much broader than that. They they have the full participation and contribution of all people with disabilities in all areas of society. So Morgan mentioned he focuses on uh, education and employment. Uh, we have early childhood projects. We do things in health and transportation. And so, all like I said, all areas, uh, there's a lot of great work that's being done across HDI. And we have um, you know, over 250 staff and we're all across the state. And so, it's a really great place um, to work. This is uh, what I considered my dream job when I saw the posting and, and applied for it. And it's been a really, a really great a great place, um, yeah, to, to, to work and to be a part of. And I mentioned that I run the Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative, which is part of um, Morgan's role. And we we do a lot too, just in that one area of, of HDI. But our mission is to ignite positive change and to address the significant health disparities that are experienced by people with disabilities. And we do that on the cornerstone of universal design. That's our, our platform. And we just want to benefit everybody to be able to access health messaging and, and health programs and, and doing so in a fun and engaging way and making sure that we're educating and establishing resources and community partnerships. And our mission statement is so great. South Carolina tried to steal it <laughs> and put it on their website. Um, so um, yeah, so we do, we do a lot of great work and it's, it's a lot of fun um, being a part of our team. Our team's like a family. Yes. And I really, really love that about what we do. Me too. Yeah, it's amazing to me that to be like a lesser known entity within the university and to have so many people too. Like I did a presentation for you all um, not too terribly long ago to like your entire staff. Um, and it, I mean, it was mind blowing to see, you know, 250 people there um, to be one of those groups that people don't recognize is even on campus sometimes because you all, I mean, you all are tucked right. Your main office is right in the center of campus and people may or may not know that you're there. And you're another one of those groups too that kind of work within and without um, of the university too, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned we're all grant funded. And so some of those programs are from state level or state partners. Like a lot of our funding comes from the Kentucky Department of Public Health, but then there are also a lot of other projects that are funded at a national level. Uh, one of our previous grant efforts was from the CDC. And so it's, and that's the fun and yet sometimes terrifying part about being funded through grant is that it's going to change whatever our, our focus or our scope is from year to year, uh, which is also exciting. It, it shifts up and changes from time to time, but we, we focus specifically on individuals in Kentucky for a lot of our work. Uh, and then some of that, those national efforts, we are able to have a bit of a more national stage and a national presence, which is also really, really great. And we have a, a really cool website that supports um, HDI, uh, as well as we have one for the Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative, which is wellness, the number four ky.org. And any of our programs or projects or any of the resources that we've created in that universal design format are all on there. And we, we do that to make sure it is accessible to anybody who could put it to good work, to good use. And so that's really important for us to, to make an impact. And actually, we just presented to the Kentucky Community Health Workers last week. And they're so wonderful. We, you know, seeing people in person that you'd only have seen in Zoom, you know, and you get to talk to them. And there was um, a young woman who came up afterwards and she was so excited. She's like, you guys are like celebrities <laughs> in my in my little uh, county in Kentucky. She said, we watch your videos you know, all the time. And she's like, can I take a picture with you all? She's my boss can't believe that I'm here and I get to meet you. And she talked about how she supported people in her community and used our exercise videos. And it was just an incredible reminder that, you know, what we do really does impact people's lives 
We just don't get to see it every day. Yeah, to me, that was hands down the best part of the presentation was to know that our job, like, it's for a reason. It's we're not just doing it just just because it's it's for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good feeling, right? Like I literally like an hour and a half probably before we had this conversation, I had a listener um, somebody who I I don't recall if I've even had an interaction with. So I apologize if I have and I've forgotten about it. I meet a lot of people on campus, um, but she sent me a really nice note um, about the podcast and really enjoying it and just acknowledging the work and care that goes into it. Um, and that was so heartwarming to me to get that because um, it feels nice when people I know um, send me a note and say that they like it um, or they're, they're listening or anything like that. But um, when it comes from people you don't have regular interactions with, um, it means that much more and kind of is is an extra driver for you in the work that you do. So I'm glad to hear that you all are getting that feedback as well, because your all's website is is really great. It does have a ton of stuff on there. I've poked around on there quite a few times. Uh, I'll I'll mention um, Morgan's musings as well. Um, one of the things that Morgan's done in the past, he's probably better at this than I am. <laughs> so uh, maybe I should turn this over to him and let him finish out the rest of the episode as the host. But um, yeah. yeah, that's another one of those things that I've found really interesting on your all's website um, and another way to reach people in the work that you all do. Oh, thank you so much. And I'll actually, I'll actually, because I think it, it really pertains to this episode and was helpful for me and thinking about my questions and everything as well. You had the episode of the two of you all together, uh, which I thought was really heartwarming and and really fun to see. So I'll link that in the show notes along with the uh, two websites you've already mentioned, Lindsay. Yeah, and my my favorite part about that that video um, that you're mentioning is Lindsay's probably going to mention this, but her one of her daughters was in the video. Um, you know, looking at my legs, looking, seeing what what they are and asking what what these are on my on my legs. And I love questions because that's how how someone will will learn something is by asking questions. So I just love that. And just showing uh, kids and just other people that, you know, my my prosthetics are not nothing to be scared about. So I loved that part of the video. Well, and so the, that video, that episode seven that you guys are mentioning of Morgan's musings, that clip that Morgan's talking about where my, uh, Mar- Marcella, my younger daughter at the time asked what this is. And I said, that's Morgan's leg. And she's like, okay. Um, that is not in the video, Morgan. So I'm glad you mentioned it, but I, we've shared it on our Facebook page a couple of times. I think it you know, gets pretty, pretty good hits and a lot of views because it's just, just a short video of a sweet interaction of innocent curiosity mm-hmm. and all of us saying, that's just Morgan's legs. Mm-hmm. All tatted up with UK. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are they're pretty great. I've seen you out at events and stuff as well. Um, Morgan's definitely a celebrity. I, I can back that up as somebody who doesn't work with you all. Um, he is everybody knows Morgan. Yeah, I think I feel like people do. So I imagine this episode is going to get a lot of listens too. So uh, thanks for helping me out too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bring, bringing you. your celebrity to me. <laughs> All right. So I do want to get into the conversation now a little bit about like disability and that intersection with well-being. Uh, so I think it's kind of important just to kind of talk about language and that sort of thing and uh, maybe get some definitions and that kind of thing out of the way, too. Um, so first, Lindsay, can you sort of define and explain the word disability and sort of basically what it means and what it covers in the context of your all's work? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great first question, Jacob. The 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 way that we like to define disability is that we like to use the World Health Organization's definition, which refers to disability as the interaction between individuals with a health condition and personal and environmental factors. And that's why the reason we like it is because it thinks about all of those considerations. So for example, they give that a person with Down syndrome or depression experiencing stigma and accessible transportation uh, to public buildings or limited social support. So really thinking about more than just that, that diagnosis and what is the actual experience of, of the disability, you know, um, because it's important to think of disability, not just as a condition that's diagnosed, but a demographic. It's a, it's a culture. It's how people experience the world around them because there are one in four adults in the United States with a disability. And in Kentucky, that number is even higher with one in three. So all of us, you know, um, you know, really need to think about how we define disability because there's a lot of individuals that we interact with on a daily basis that have that experience. And it's also really important um, for us in our work when we're defining disability to use the functional disability aspects to think about how, again, that is how somebody experiences the world around them. And there are six disability demographic questions uh, that the Health and Human Services have put out as the standard set of how you ask about disability demographics. And those are all based on the functional aspects of disability. So like, are you deaf or have serious difficulty hearing or blind or serious difficulty seeing or because of physical, mental or emotional condition, do you have serious difficulty concentrating or remembering or making decisions? And um, and then there's several more that, that really go through, again, thinking through those functional types of disability. And what's interesting about those six questions is though they're not perfect as any of us who are interested in, in research and those kinds of things know how difficult it is to, to really capture um, you know, your demographic audience. But the thing about that is knowing that it's also not stagnant. So thinking about someone who breaks their arm. Or their, or their leg or back when I was pregnant, I would say yes to one or more of those six questions and that my experience of the world around me is going to shift and change over time or even as we age. And so I think those are really important ways to think about disability and why it informs our work, especially as we have that cornerstone of universal design, because if we can make our programming or messaging or whatever it is that we're doing broadly accessible in a universal way, it's going to benefit everybody. And that's really the, the ultimate goal of our message is, is trying to do that, you know, with the mindset of a lot of individuals experience disability. So let's make sure we're including them as well, because they're the largest minority population and they experience such extreme negative health outcomes, but not often included in diversity, inclusion or equity efforts. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like the, the number of people that experience it and then just thinking about like, I guess like how a lot of those things are taken for granted, maybe um, from folks that don't experience it and not necessarily. I feel like a lot of times it's not even necessarily in a, a an intentional or negative way. It's just you don't think about it and you don't sort of know what you don't know. Um, so that's why I'm really excited to dive further into this conversation to talk about those things um, and to shine light on that, um, as you mentioned. Um, with it being one of the being the largest minority population, but not necessarily traditionally thought of in that way um, when you talk about things like diversity, equity and inclusion. So, yeah, um, yeah that's a really, really interesting point. So kind of on that topic, too, uh, we know that language matters. So what is the appropriate way to sort of talk about or acknowledge disability, whether you're having that conversation with somebody experiencing a disability or somebody that's not? 
Again, great, great question. And so in, in our world, there's the terms person first versus identity first. And so person first language is when you view the individual first. So like, you know, Morgan, uh, who has prosthetic legs or my daughter, Caroline, who experiences Down syndrome. So the person is always first. Uh, that's the individual. So we have a, a great uh, comic that has a stick figure and the stick figure is holding a briefcase that says disability, <laughs> right? So that that's, that is the part of their identity that they're carrying with them. And then the secondary to that is uh, identity first. So that's where, so individuals on the autism spectrum, which would be uh, person first, or you could say autistic. And so the, the difference there is is just shifting and changing in our current culture and our current language. And so the best way to know how somebody wants to be referred to is to ask them. It definitely is, is the good, good rule of thumb. But what I like to do for, for me personally is to, to lead with that identity first, because I want to recognize the individual. And, and then if they do prefer uh, to have um, the, their, their identity first language instead of the person, person first, then, then they can correct me. Yeah, I, I like that exactly what she said. See the person first before the disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Morgan, what would you say that people commonly get wrong about disabilities or people experiencing disabilities? Um, I would say um, when people make assumptions, like for instance, when I go out anywhere, Almost every time someone says, um, thank you for your service, like, mm. like, like, why does me being in the service have to determine like service, uh, prosthetic legs. So like, um, that gets like, just ask, like I said, I'm an open book. Um, I don't mind telling you what what happened just just ask um and then and then also don't assume that just because someone has a disability doesn't mean that they can't do something that's one of the reasons why i like my job is i one like helping people reach their health goal but then two i like showing that this person with a disability has a job so I want everybody else that has a disability to know that they can go get a job as well. And I think there's that 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 assumption piece is really interesting to me where you have disabilities that are maybe have a visual cue to them. Mm -hmm. And then you have others that you may be living with that people would not know about unless you talked about them. So I think that's kind of where that language matters and not assuming anything about anyone and, and being willing to ask a genuine, you know, honest question of someone um, and giving them the space to talk about it in the way that they want to talk about, but not also forcing that issue. Um, so I, I think it's really important. And I love to hear that it's like you're an open book to be able to um, go out and, and kind of reshift those narratives for folks um, who have an ignorance for some reason or another. Um, so that's uh, really valuable, and I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no problem. I, 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 and I'm an open book because, like I said, no one will know if they don't ask. But then also questions also help me as well. So, like if someone says, 
oh, if is hydrocephalus um, due to your um, not having legs? And that's a good question that I don't know. So I like to to look up. It makes me look up more about my disability and find out new stuff. Yeah. What what kind of things have you noticed, Lindsay? Um, I was also going to mention they also don't know when Morgan wears pants. So sometimes depending on where we're going or what we're doing, I'll be like, hey, Morgan, you, you should wear shorts today. So that, so that <laughs> people can know. Because I, I love that story um, from the time that you were at Keeneland, Morgan. Oh, yeah. So um, like Lindsay said, you maybe can't tell that I have prosthetic legs if I wear pants. So there's sometimes when I'm at Keeneland, we'll park far away. I'm far for me to walk. So there's these like golf cart people that pick pick people up that need a ride. And there's there's times where I'll say, hey, or I'll ask, can I get a ride? And um, they'll say, no, sorry, only people with disability or like elderly people. And when I'm it's weird because when I'm there. I'll just say, okay, and just be done with it. Like I can walk. It's okay. But then when someone's with me and and says, oh, well, he doesn't have a disability. And then I'll have to show him my prosthetics. And I hate doing that because I don't want, I don't want to be treated any special, special way or embarrass anyone. Like they don't, they don't know, like, like I said, wearing pants, you won't know that I have prosthetic legs. So I'll just show them my prosthetics. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And of course, I'm like, oh, it's OK. You didn't know. And then you get your free ride. Yeah. Then I get my free ride. Or or I make them feel real bad about their self. <laughs> no, thanks. I can walk. No, I'm just <laughs> But that's why I wanted you to to share that story because it's it's a great example of of that aspect of like the assumptions go both ways, right? How people can assume, you know, capabilities. Uh, For me as a parent to a child with Down syndrome, I'm constantly having to remind her therapist and her teachers that she is fully capable. And she also knows that she's cute and can get out of doing what she doesn't want to do when she, when she manipulates you, cause she's actually really smart. Um, and so it, I think in my experience, that is not necessarily a common thing for a parent to do it. And I think we all want what's best for our children. Um, and we're going to, we're going to advocate for them in, in any way, but I've, I've found that that it's, it's interesting when I have to really point out the fact that give give someone a chance to show you what they can do. And then if, you know, we need to make some accommodations or need to provide some additional supports, then let's do that. And that's for anybody, whether there's a disability or not, I, I would do that across any, any of my, my children with, even with Morgan and our other teammates that we, that we support on our team. And so I, th- I think that's my, my thing about following up with Morgan's comment about making assumptions is, is that it really, it really goes both ways of what somebody can and can't do. And, uh, and yeah, giving them the chance to to accomplish it or to tell you what they need. Yeah, so I love how you put that to give someone a chance to show you what they can do. And I think that's a really great 
you know, universal trait um, for anyone about any sort of assumptions that we may make, give people the chance to show who they are um, and then let them let you know um, and have that conversation and be willing to support them and what they need um, to go a little further. So you all have both mentioned being advocates. Um, so I kind of want to dive into that a little bit as well. So Morgan, can you first tell us the kinds of things that you do as a self-advocate? Yeah. So the kind of things I do as being with being a self-advocate, like for Special Olympics, I um, go to Special Olympic events um, just to show the people there that what, why they're letting them know why they're here and why it's important. Um, thanking our sponsors and just telling people about Special Olympics and like what self-advocacy is and stuff like that. Actually, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about Special Olympics, too, for those who may be a little less familiar. Yeah, so Special Olympics is, um, it's for the longest time, I thought it was just Special Olympic athletes playing sports, but it's, but as Special Olympics has grown, it's far more than just sports. Um, like I'm a self, self advocate, um, health messenger and athlete ambassador and just telling people about, about Special Olympics, um, about um, our Special Olympics founder, Unit Kennedy Shriver, and talking about her and yeah, just how Special Olympics was 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 brought up and how how much it's grown. Morgan, can you talk a little bit more about so you're 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 framing your answer to Jacob's question as a self advocate, mm -hmm. um, but haven't really talked about like what what is a self advocate? Like you are advocating to others. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right? Like other athletes or other people with disabilities. And so can you talk a little bit more about that role? Yeah. So a self advocate is um someone who speaks for them speaks up for others, but also them themselves. And I like being people's voice if they can't I like being other people's voice if they can't speak for for themselves because it's a lot of voices in this in the world with people with disabilities. So I just like being being their their voice and um yeah helping helping them out. Haven't you been to the like to to DC and you've been like talked to some pretty pretty high up officials and stuff? Yes, I've talked to um senators and congressmen um and in Kentucky about you know their athletes just like me that um really would like their support in doing what what we love. Yeah, really putting that celebrity status to to good use too, which is always great to hear. This is where he takes over your show, Jacob. <laughs> hey, you can, I already <laughs> I already said it. He's better at it than I am. I would absolutely hand over the reins to him for the rest of the episode. <laughs> Thank you. And I will I will say too. I've I've had the opportunity um, when I was coaching, um, particularly, and when I was an athlete. Actually, um, we hosted I think a couple of the Special Olympics events 
um, during my time. And I can say pretty definitively that there are few events that are more fun than those. Um, they are really, they are really exciting to be at um, and a joy to to be involved in. So if you do get the opportunity to volunteer at those or um, just attend them or um, anything like that, absolutely do it. It is a, a great organization with a great mission, and um, it's so fun to to be at those things. So take advantage if you can. Yeah, definitely. I um, speaking of that, like we had a Special Olympics event in Thomas More for flag football and. It amazed me how so many volunteers there were. They were like volunteers for like, look like football cheerleading. And I don't know, it was a lot of students and seemed like student athletes. So that to me was just amazing to have so many volunteers and uh, shows that people people care about um, us. And two, as Morgan mentioned, Special Olympics is more than just a sports organization. And I think that that's one of the things I was trying to get you to talk a little bit more about, Morgan, is your role as like a health messenger and a healthy ambassador, because we do a lot of work as well in helping to educate the athletes about making healthy choices. So how can you, you know, be healthy on and off your, your field of play? And what does that look like? And, and there's a lot of really great work that's being done in that area. Of, of health education and health promotion, but then also too, there's inclusive sports that Morgan's a big part of. And, and that's a really fun thing too, where he gets to play sports alongside individuals that don't have disabilities. And uh, Colin, one of our other, other team members and, and him dominate some of the unified sporting events on campus. Yeah. So yeah. unified, yeah. Unified sports. So that's, um, both people with and without a disability playing on the same team together against other people with with and without disabilities. And there's no like modifications involved. It's just like playing a regular sport like volleyball or basketball. And then there's also um, health messengers. Um, and that's just showing people that going to the doctor or dentist is important. It may look scary. Going to the doctor may be scary, but the doctor is there for you and you have control of what you want to do or what you don't feel comfortable in doing. So just getting that message out that it's okay to be afraid to go to the doctor, but it's also important to make your voice heard. Yeah, it's cool to hear how it's like basically like the, the view that everyone has of Special Olympics is really about the sport aspect of it. And that's sort of like the the starting point for it to allow for all this other conversation with the health messengers and talking about health and well-being and, and the whole person um, perspective after that too. So it's really interesting to hear how um, that's put into practice and all the great work that's being done with that as well. Uh, so, Lindsay, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what it's like to be a parent advocate for disability? Yeah, I uh, I do get this question. Um, well, I know in Morgan's Musings episode seven, and he's even talked about about what it's like to be to be a parent advocate. And and like I said previously, any parent wants what's best for their child. And so I think we 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 are going to advocate for that in the settings that we have. The difference for me between Marcella and Caroline is that 
but we want for both of them to to do their best and to lead happy, healthy lives. And I just know that with Caroline, I'm going to have to pay closer attention to her unique needs and make sure to work with her, her teachers and whatever support she needs and make sure that she has everything that she needs to be successful. But my expectations are still the same Mm -hmm. for her and her sisters and knowing that I want her to have those same life experiences of, of working, of having a relationship maybe you know, going to college if she, if she wants to, um, you know, those kinds of things, but that's not necessarily everybody else's expectation of her. So there's a, that's a big part of advocacy is, is getting her the support that she needs, but also in setting her up for success, making sure she has that path. Yeah. That's important. Um, that to know people with disabilities are just, just people like everyone else. Like we, still live our lives we still enjoy what everybody else enjoys like um i love hunting watching kentucky sports um as painful as this team is this year but <laughs> i love i love watching the steelers that's that's my favorite team um but yeah we just know that people with disabilities are people just like everyone else Lindsay, do you have any, are there any like barriers that you have to continually overcome as a parent advocate, as someone who's raising a, a child with a disability? Definitely the common theme here, the assumptions is overcoming those assumptions of what she is or is not capable of. And, and that's a continuous thing in all of, all of the settings that, that we, that we have for her and whether it's at school or whether it's at the, you know, she's in swim lessons at, at uh, Aquatouch, which is another area that Jacob and I uh, run into each other out in the world. Um, and, and so I think it's just a, a consistent thing for me too, to also be learning as a parent of, of managing my expectations for, you know, for where she is and where her development is and making sure that I, again, going back to give her those opportunities to show me as well what she's capable of so that I can then know what to advocate for um, or, or where I need to ask questions. I think that's been a big learning curve for me uh, sometimes is in making the assumptions that the people that are the therapists or the individuals that the doctors, whoever it is, know what they're talking about or that they know a lot. But in reality, you know, I think uh, medical doctors get like one class on disability, something really. And so there was a recent article that came out that talked about the majority of doctors, you know, are not comfortable um, treating people with disabilities. And that this is heartbreaking for me to say, but they don't value individuals with disabilities lives as a, you know, a quality of life compared to somebody without a disability. And so um, that's a, a big barrier for, for us as well to overcome. Um, in thinking about you know, that just having a disability doesn't make someone less than in any area, in any aspect. And uh, that's definitely a barrier. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that too and bringing to light the, those types of things that we, again, kind of take for granted um, in, as somebody not experiencing a disability, going to the doctor is not something that I have to think about. We talked about this a couple episodes ago um, when Vanessa was on with me and we talked about like the weight stigma of going to the doctor Again, somebody not experiencing that would take standing on a scale for granted. Um, and I think it's kind of a similar example there 
um, where again, you you sort of make assumptions or you just really don't know what you don't know. And so it's good to hear about those things and to continue to try to learn um, and, and really broaden our horizons and understand what someone else might be experiencing so that we can be more supportive, um, even if we are somebody that's not experiencing X, Y, or Z. So can you talk a little bit about, too, like just adopting a child with a disability? Was that something that you felt called to? Um, what was that experience like kind of in the early days? I, I definitely could talk a whole nother podcast about the, t- the topic of, of adoption and intentionally adopting a child with, with a disability. So I will I'll give you my my brief version, but also know that in addition to Morgan's musings, the episode seven that he interviews me, we have um, one of my best friends and colleagues, Carrie Jones Bats, who um, is a gra- our graphic media designer and she created a Caroline story video. So I'll have that linked for you all um, as well. But she she captures the whole the whole the whole story and you get to see their sweet little faces. Um, so definitely check that out if that's of, of real interest to you. But my my short answer is that there's, you know, we when I when I met my husband and we talked about you know our goal for a family, he has a cousin that's adopted from from China. And I never experienced in having anybody that I knew um, growing up that was adopted, but I I saw it um, as an adult in and friends. And there was a family that adopted two children from overseas that each had a medical condition. One had spina bifida, the other the cleft palate that was fixed. And so just hearing their stories and and seeing those those little happy children that were so healthy here in the States. And he and I were inspired by that. Just like we could we could do that. Um, we could we could make that happen, and it was an interesting part of the journey to start with the adoption agency. When I said we we specifically want your your kiddos with disabilities, and that was not not something that they had ever heard before. Um, and so we we yeah, so we did that. But yes, the video is amazing. Please watch. Perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll add that as it is a supplement to the answer. Yeah. So the next couple of questions I've got are going to be for the both of you, um, kind of continuing on with your experience a little bit. So first, what does it mean to each of you to experience disability in your lives? Because you all both have kind of different lenses of experiencing disability. Well, for me, I don't really know how to answer that question because having a disability is all I've known. Like when I was born, my legs were deformed. So even then I had a disability and then same with hydrocephalus. So I don't really know how to answer that question just for the simple fact because uh, disability is is all I know. Yeah. And I, mean, I think you can hear it in your earlier answers too about being that sort of celebrity status of being a self-advocate um, and going out and just sharing your story and sharing your experience with other folks. Um, like even even not like kind of thinking how to verbalize um, that sort of answer. I, as the person asking the question, can hear it in all the other questions that I've asked you already. Thank you. What about you, Lindsay? I mean, I think Morgan's answer is is perfect, even though he said he doesn't feel like he's answering the question, but it, it really is the answer. That's your experience of your life it is exactly that. Morgan and I watched a TED talk the other day of, a uh, young man from Australia who had a spinal tumor when he was born. So he's paraplegic. And he was talking about, you know, when he was growing up and his 
older brother didn't treat him any different, you know, with how he stole the remote from him and put it on top of the fridge. And he loved that when he realized, why should I be treated any different? Like, this is just who I am. And, and I think that that's really empowering to, to think of like, that is the experience. It's just, everybody has their own experience of their world. Some people just happen to have a disability. Agreed. And life doesn't have to have to change because of, of uh, disability. Yeah, it was kind of a it was kind of a loaded question and almost sort of intentionally vague sort of question to ask someone. Um, but really, the idea behind me asking that question was exactly what you all are kind of talking about. And that, like, these are just your experiences, just like I have experiences with certain things. Um, and we're all going to experience things through our own lens. Um, and so it's it's kind of about going back to those assumptions and like um, really not just expecting we understand what someone else is going through. So it's really, it's kind of that empathy piece um, that I'm really sort of building up to um, with a question like that. Um, but how would you each define resilience? You can go ahead first, Lindsay. <laughs> Having resiliency is the skill to bounce back from, from a hardship. Um, you know, being able to, yeah, to, to be okay. And then I would just say exactly what she said. She she hit the nail right on the head. I actually just finished up a project at HDI on building resiliency. And we were focusing on building resiliency in youth, but also in um, staff who work in caregiver settings. So a lot of with our child care centers with the staff that are there and thinking about uh, you know, caregiver burnout, uh, thinking about individuals that uh, you know, are really having some hardships with experiencing from the pandemic and then also trying to help build resiliency in the people that they support as well. And how do you do that for yourself and for the others that you're serving? So again, another great uh, kickback to our mothership of HDI and all the great work that's being done and how wonderful it is that we're being a part of this podcast. And it just really, the timing overlines it well. And there's some, some fun videos and resources that we created for that. And um, they're not online yet. So I encourage your listeners just to, to keep us in their, their back pocket and their toolkit to, to know about HGI and of our Kentucky Inclusive Health Collaborative and the work that we do and you know, to put us to good use in the community. Yeah, absolutely. Once those are available to um, I'm happy to go back and edit the show notes and add those in there. So it's a little easier to find, but um, at least, you know, um, where to where to generally find those on the website um, that we've already mentioned as well. So um, you'll be able to, to jump back into those when they are available. So it's been kind of the last little bit of our conversation here, talking more broadly about supporting well-being and disability. So Morgan, can you explain what inclusion is? So inclusion is um, having everybody in the in the same area or same room, same building. So we have a slide that we like to show in our presentation. We have exclusion, segregation, and integration. And we have just explaining what each means. So I like to use a school building as an example. So exclusion is when people uh, with disabilities are left out of the building or, yeah, out of the building. And then segregation is people with disabilities in the building, but in a, in a different room. And integration is people with disabilities are in the same building in the same room as their peers, but not interacting. And then 
it brings us to inclusion is everybody's in the same building, same room with each other, doing the same things as everyone else and interacting with their peers. And that's inclusion. And that's what um, anyone with a disability wants is to be included. Yeah, I like that example and, and explaining the differences between that and that spectrum there as well. Yeah, it's really about like having a seat at the table, right? Um, right. And being 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 treated just like everyone else and, and getting that opportunity to contribute. And again, kind of going back to, to the earlier point of showing what you can do um, and having that having that ability and removing sort of the barriers and the assumptions and all those other things that can get in the way. Right. So, Lindsay, what does inclusion mean when it comes to well-being and disabilities? I mentioned earlier that individuals with disabilities experience drastic health outcomes, um, and and there's a lot of disparities that are experienced there. And Morgan, we when we do that that same presentation has a slide that yes. has right, yeah, that has the the bar graph, right, Morgan? Yes. So we have another slide for the same presentation, and it has. Um, five different graphs, inactivity, high blood pressure, smoking, obesity, and diabetes. And you noticed if you, if you were to look at these slides, you'd notice that people in Kentucky with a disability are the highest in each of those five graphs. But then you also notice people in the U.S. with a disability is not too far from people in Kentucky with a disability. Right. And then the part of the graph that has the individuals without a disability, that's that's the disparity part I'm talking about. That's where it's so it's different. So for example, in Kentucky, people with disabilities are almost twice as likely to have diabetes. Uh, um, you know, they're more likely to have asthma, COPD, uh, all the ones Morgan mentioned, the high blood pressure. Um, in general, they're three times more likely to, to have cancer. Um, more likely to smoke. And so if you're, if you're a health professional or you know anything about health, you know, that like all of these things are, they're just, it's interconnected. And so, you know, if you're, you're not active and you're not eating well, you're more likely to, to have these poor health outcomes. And then if you have a disability, that's going to also impact your experience and how you can access your, your health care or the materials or the information, even that's being provided, all of that is, it's just, a, it's a cycle. Um, and then we talk about social determinants of health and access when it comes to finances and all of these things. And, and in the experience of people with disabilities is that there are so many more barriers. It's so much harder for them to access those things and those services and to have the good health outcomes. So when you ask me, what does inclusion look like in that health setting? For me, like that's that's where the root of the, the issue is, is how do I help support individuals who are doing great work in the health field, who are already really passionate and they want to, they want to improve people's lives and the quality of their lives, help them also be good at serving everyone in a universal way, because my passion is people with disabilities, you know, closing those disparities and those gaps and being included meaningfully. That's my part of inclusion that when Morgan's talking that I say, just because they have a seat at the table, are you engaging them in a meaningful way? That's the next step, mm. right? Is making sure that that somebody isn't just there, but then are they there for a reason? And, and that's important to include as well. Yeah, you're not just checking a box. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that's a really important point. And I'm really glad you brought up the social determinants of health and, and kind of seeing it through that lens, because I think another one of those assumptions that could happen is that they think that these outcomes, these health outcomes are directly related to the disability, maybe that the disability yeah. is causing it. When in reality, a lot of these are probably because of those barriers that are in place. So it's more of an indirect um, type of thing that's happening and because of those social determinants of health and the access issues and just the experience that they've had maybe in the past that are influencing um, their future decisions and those types of things that um, it's really important that we be advocates, um, all of us be advocates and all of us be supportive in a way that we can. Um, and so you kind of talked about helping health professionals be better at supporting and helping those folks as well. Um, so let's kind of let's kind of jump into that. How do you all help people with disabilities be healthier? And then how do you also help health professionals be better at serving people with disabilities? Well, you know, my my thing when we first started was there was always this push to have a totally separate program. Oh, let's have this health program for individuals with disabilities. You know, and my my thought, right, when I when I first started at HCI, you know, we started in that realm. And then we're like, well, that, that's not the best practice. That the let's push for some inclusion. And the health partners project was our first step towards that, where we had that partnered approach. And what we learned during that project was where that's where we started to look at universal design. Because if you design your your again, your program, your messaging to be accessible broadly for everybody. And you're really breaking down those barriers and that need for accommodation. And that benefits not just people with disabilities, but individuals from other cultures, you know, who, who might have um, a different understanding of cultural norms or speak a different language or individuals that have low literacy. When we were doing the health partners program with Morgan, there was actually an individual not the one that had a cognitive disability, but it was her father who was illiterate. And because we had infused universal design into that program, he was able to access it on his own um, and, and really was grateful for that, that he didn't have to rely as much on his daughter to help him you know, meaningfully engage with what it was that we were trying to do. So we've taken all those lessons learned and we've We've really worked hard to become experts in universal design and health and how that applies, not just to universal design and accessible buildings or streets and that physical aspect, and not just universal design and learning, which is the aspect that you would think for it as an educator. And how do you, you know, provide, again, those the concepts, the materials, the multiple means of engagement, those things. And we infuse that all in one. So when we say universal design, we're talking about that broad aspect of of everything that you would do to engage with, with your audience. And then the flip side of that is, is helping health professionals. Once we can show them how many people with disabilities, you know, that they're already either serving or they're not because they're not thinking about it and they're not being accessible to them. Once we get in and, and help them realize that, then they say, well, shoot, okay, I want to make sure I'm doing it and I'm doing it right. How do we do that? And then that's where we teach universal design principles and help review materials and resources. And Morgan's done a great job with that. Um, some of the work with Marquee Cancer Center um, that you've done in the past, Morgan, has been really, yeah, it's been really helpful for the community programming. Yay, awesome. And I also like to, to help people, um, like the same program Lindsay was talking about, they make these their own health goal, like where they want to be, how they can get there, like health wise. And I like helping people by like 
explaining that my goal is the same way and also helping helping them achieve that and then tell them how how I um how I am doing it so like my health goal was drinking less soda and a lot of people with disabilities that's I've noticed that some of their goals too that's not disability. That's cross the board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just across the yeah. board. So I just like helping everybody, like show them that they can. Uh, that that water is the most healthiest thing to to drink. So proud of you right now, Mo. Yeah, I'm so far. How many LH you can drink a day, and then you really replacing it with Gatorades. <laughs> baby, baby steps for me. So proud. <laughs> LHs are good. If I'm gonna have a shameless plug in there, <laughs> I can see. I can see why. <laughs> I I agree. You're you're probably the first one that I talk to that likes L8. Everyone else is like not good. It's not that it's not good. It's just for those of us like me, I'm very caffeine and sugar sensitive, and Morgan can attest to this. <laughs> so the first time I drank an L8 because I used to coach dance in Winchester. I mean, I thought that my like entire soul was going to flutter out of my body. Yeah, the one, the one-two punch of caffeine plus plus sugar. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. It wasn't the taste for me. It was the oh, this is where my heart explodes because I I I have in, indulged too much. Yeah, that's me on a, a second cup of coffee. Um, I've <laughs> talked about my love of coffee on here, and it's always really ironic because I'm like I can literally only have one cup. Or I'm the same way. My soul is probably going to leave my body at some point. <laughs> and you're going to see my my animated corpse just running in circles somewhere. <laughs> yeah. For, just for you, Jacob, I specifically did not drink coffee today. Or oh, yeah. Today. I, I've, I've seen Lindsay with coffee. Funny enough, I actually, it's same thing. I, I don't drink coffee on the days of episodes. I switch to tea, so I have a little bit less caffeine content. Um, and I don't, I don't run all my words together and, and go off on random tangents and those types of things. Yeah, I do that without caffeine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how can we, how can we make the workplace and our communities more inclusive to people experiencing disabilities? Morgan, maybe you go first here. Oh, okay. Well, first thing with my job is first they treat me as an equal. Like we said earlier, they don't treat me any different. Um, then the reason I like where I work is that they treat me like everyone else, but they also realize that I need some help sometimes and they take the time to meet with me one-on-one -on -one, and that helps both me and my my team um if i need some new work assignments um then they help me with that um but also just helps them as well just seeing how their day is going and um if they need help with anything so that i feel like the those one-on-one -on -one meetings they help both of us um but yeah. What about you, Lindsay? I must say, you know, I, I agree with everything with Morgan. I think what I would add to that to that point is where he says it's it's helpful for both of us is to realize that, you know, so for example, emails, right? <laughs> one, one, I get too many. And then secondary, if you send a big novel paragraph, 
to anyone. It's so it's hard, right, to get the the message of what it is. What are you asking yeah. me to do? That's what Morgan. So and us trying to help Morgan, he was just ignoring emails. I'm not. I'm not I'm just telling facts, Mo. Not on purpose, but if somebody <laughs> sent an email, it was just a big paragraph. Morgan would just, I'll look at that later, which I'm also at fault for too, right? And so in talking with Morgan, like, okay, how can we help find a better way to make this digestible information? And so we we all advocate as a team together to emails need to be, you know, what is it you want from me? Bullet points, right, Mo? What else? Yes, bullet points or mm-hmm. or making, or if you are making a big, long paragraph of an email, then maybe put the key point of the email in either in bold or make it highlighted. So like that, because that helps me say, oh, they, that this is the part I really need to be focusing on. And it just, it just helps me out a lot. Yeah. It helps all of us. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the part that I'm, that I'm following on is I think any of us could say, gosh, I wish all of my emails <laughs> were like that. This, you, you want me to do this, this, and this, and here's the deadline. And then at the end, we can have like our, you know, our cordial, how was your, how was your day or this funny thing happened. Um, and so that's, that's the part that I would add is that just that normalizing of, of that experience of disability, because it's again, going back to that world health organization definition, it's not just about this diagnosed condition. It's about how we experience the world and we can all benefit from just being, you know, better at understanding ways to make it easier for everyone. And that's why we have that universal design as a part of our foundation, because that's the ultimate goal is, is doing that across all, all things. And the more that we can normalize that and normalize disability, the better. Yeah, you hear it in the word or in the the concept of universal design. It's in the name of it. And I think you see that intentionality um, in your all's website and and it's for everyone. It's not just for this specific population, while it may be geared in that direction. um, But realistically, the things that you all are doing are good practices for everyone. Um, And so I think that's that's really important to note. But you can hear in your all's example, too, of like that intentionality and that conversation that you all have and kind of having a common understanding um, and then just that care and consideration um, that goes into being able to make any sort of meaningful accommodations um, and the things that you want to see more of so that everyone is more effective. And that type of thing is really, really good to hear. Again, that's that's a standard practice that I think every group should be doing, whether they have someone in their group experiencing disability or not. Um, but I actually, I read an article in the last couple of days, actually, I think that came out, um, from in the New York times about how the workplace has shifted, um, and like the number of folks or the percentage of folks that are, um, working and how people with disability have actually really thrived in this, in this marketplace with this added flexibility. Um, it's really opened some doors and some avenues for folks to the point where folks with disability um, are far outgaining that pace that um, those who are not um, looking at levels from pre-pandemic to now. Um, and so I think they, they were actually, they have a chart on there um, showing that folks with disability um, are at higher levels of employment than they were pre-pandemic. 
Um, so that's that's the type of thing that's also really encouraging to me. And again, I don't think that's necessarily a consideration for folks when you think about the term, you know, flexibility or or like work from home or those kinds of concepts. Uh, we're thinking about it like in some of the conveniences and not having to commute and that sort of stuff. Um, but it's really opened the door for for folks with disability to have a meaningful space in the workplace too that they, again, that they may not have had in the past because of perceptions and assumptions and those types of things. So, um, yeah, I, th I think it's thinking about things that we're already doing um, in, in a lens that like, hey, how does this affect um, other populations as well? How can we do this in a meaningful way? And it comes back to the example that you all gave with having that conversation, having that intentionality, having that care and concern and consideration for others um, is really important in us being more supportive um, to all of us. That was beautifully said. Yes. So what suggestions do you all have for folks to on becoming better allies um, for disability and well-being? Well, first, um, update language. So don't use the R word or negative things like suffer from or bound in a wheelchair. So stuff like stuff like that. Yeah. So. Um... So thinking about, you know, um, the less than part that we talked about earlier, not viewing somebody who has a disability as less than in any capacity or in any way. And that's uh, really looking at moving to from that charity model. So not feeling sorry for somebody who has a disability uh, or the medical model like we talked about before, that, where that disability is something that needs to be cured and needs to be fixed. And just removing that stigma altogether. Um, actually, the class that I did a guest lecture for with, with Carrie and Morgan for your wife, Erin, was on disability in the media. And we talked about how is disability portrayed in, in the shows that we watch and the things that we see, and it's either not there at all, or people with disabilities are represented by, you know, as, as villains or as, as negative um, characters or even as the victims. And so thinking about all of those, those stigmas and all the negativity that's associated with disability, like that's the part that, you know, that we, we hope to continue to provide you know, broader education on. So thank you for, for asking that question and thinking about how we can shift our language, shift our culture and to be accepting, to be normalizing. And then if there's something that you don't know or you don't understand, just just ask. Agree. So on that point, for folks who want to dive a little bit deeper and want to learn a little bit more, um, aside from the resources we've already mentioned, do you have any other like books or, you know, podcasts or websites or anything that you would share with folks to learn a little bit more? Yeah, we so we gave you a host of resources. Uh, in addition to our, obviously, our website is is focused on the inclusive health, and HDI is that broader one. But there's all kinds of really great disability organizations across the state and across the, the national level. So checking out all of those those networks and those uh, organizations that are working to support people with disabilities uh, across Kentucky. You know, uh, Best Buddies is is one too. We we put the international link in there for people that can see it, but Morgan's participating participated in that program here at UK, um, which is like a big brother, big sister program, um, but for individuals with disabilities. And then, um, yeah, and there's a couple of other just broad, broad links, some specific to health and some specific to recreation and different camps around. You mentioned ways that you can get involved and volunteer a lot of, a lot of great opportunities that way. And then 
we did include some videos and movies in addition to the My Sister Caroline and the Morgan's Musings we talked about. There's a couple of TED Talks that we we really enjoy, the one we mentioned earlier, and then also Stella Young, who talks a lot about that. You know, my disability is not your charity, and not is not your inspiration. It is in there. And then Morgan added his his favorite disability movie. My favorite disability movie is uh Dolphin Tale. Uh just because it it's about a a dolphin that doesn't have a uh a, a fin. So they take him to a aquarium to make him a a uh prosthetic fin. And I like it because it's so realistic to like humans with prosthetics. Like in the movie, they show them making a bunch of different tail fins and the dolphin, of course, just breaks it and does does not like them like they don't fit right. Same with people with disabilities. Like when we have our liners or prosthetics, they'll make them. And sometimes they're not comfortable. So, again, it's important to let them know, know that that this isn't comfortable. And so that's why I like the movie, because it's so realistic about um, humans with prosthetics. I love a good pop culture reference. So I'm so glad that you brought that up um, and <laughs> put that in there as an example for folks, too. Yeah, it's so because I. I didn't know about the movie. I went to a camp called Camp No Limits, and we went to the same aquarium where the dolphin um, was, and we got to see how they made the how they made the fin, how like what it was made out of, and stuff like that. So I just thought that was that was really cool. So one other feature that we've got, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, um, is we have our Wildly Resilient playlist um, that people can listen to on Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. So here's your all's chance to contribute a song um, that's meaningful to you all, um, that kind of inspires a little bit of resilience in you. So Lindsay, do you want to go first? So mine is Canned Heat by Jamiroquai. You might know it from Napoleon Dynamite in the dance sequence there or um, Center Stage. The, the finale uh, dance that the prima ballerina does. But for, for me, it's, it's not just that it's a fun song to dance to, but the lyrics are so spot on for when you're asking you about resiliency, it's talking about, you know, despite all of these things, I've still got canned heat in my heels and I'm still going to dance. And that is, that is my motto. If I'm having a bad day, my speaker, and my music is blasting. If I'm having a good day, you know, we're shimmying and shaking booties. So that's, that's definitely what that song means to me that I hope other people can enjoy having some canned heat for their resiliency too. What about you, Morgan? Yeah. And then for me, I've, I've thought about this and Lindsay can attest to this. I've thought about this for so long. And so when, when it got postponed, I was like, Oh, I, I have more time to think about, <laughs> about this, but um, mine is um, I'm No Stranger to the Rain by Keith Whitley. Um, and just because it's not, it's not about weather, it's about like bad times or hard times. So with me, um, I'm no stranger to having a bunch of surgeries. And I know that that 
they're not going to be done anytime soon. Like with my shunt, it has to be uh, re readjusted every few years or every so often. So, um, and it's very easy to get down on myself about that. Like I'm someone that likes to be on the go 24 seven. Um, and it just, I don't know, speaks to me about like, even though all of the surgeries that I've had um, have gotten me down, I still overcome them and it makes me a better person. Yeah, that's a great song too. I'm um, a fellow Kentuckian. So yes. um, I love both of y'all's contributions to it. And I'm like, I, I, I was trying not to laugh when Lindsay brought up <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite dancing because <laughs> I'm just imagining you like you on screen it. now, like doing it. <laughs> so I was like, I had to hold <laughs> that one back uh, when you mentioned it. So yes. I appreciate both of those contributions. Those are great. So we're on to the last word. What's the one message that each of you want to leave with our listeners? Um, I would say, um, again, do not assume that because someone has a disability that they can't do something. Um, it may look a little different and it may, may take us a little bit of time, but we, we can get it done. Um, but yeah, that would be my, my go-to message. And mine is that we're all likely going to experience disability at some point, whether we age or, like I said before, a situation of an illness or, or an injury. So having that understanding, compassion for disability and, and managing those expectations, because like Morgan said, disability should not stop someone from achieving any goal, no matter what, what barriers we face. And, and so that's, that's really the, the ultimate message there is. Yeah. Like you said earlier, have empathy. And then also ask questions. Like like we said earlier, don't assume um that just because I have prosthetics doesn't mean I'm was in the military. So just ask questions. Um I know some people don't like questions, but the worst they can say is no, I don't feel like answering that. But but you'll have some people that are an open book and that will tell you. So just ask questions. Don't assume. Well, this was such a joy. I thank you all so much for coming on and just sharing your experiences and your knowledge. Um, and I really appreciate it. And I know our listeners are going to get a lot of value out of this too. Um, I've learned some things um, and I hope they, they do as well. So um, like I said, thank you all. Thank you all so much um, for doing this. Yeah, this was, this was, this was our first podcast. So I feel like we, We'll warm up and know you next time when you have me come back and talk about disability and sexuality. Maybe I'm, I'm not opposed to having repeat <laughs> guests if people have been listening. So absolutely open to, to both of you coming back in the future. Yes. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. And definitely come you know, check us out at our, at our wellness for KY um, website and our contact information's on there. And we'd love to help, yeah, help anybody that's listening in any way that we can. Yeah. That'll do it for this episode. Like me, I hope you're leaving this conversation with a better understanding of disability and inclusion. I encourage you to consider how you work and interact with others and apply some of the tips that Lindsay and Morgan provided for being more inclusive. For example, in our post-interview chat, I asked a question I wish I had asked while we were still recording, which was about how I can make this podcast more inclusive, particularly for people who may be deaf or hard of hearing. 
while YouTube automatically captions these episodes, it's not always accurate. So starting with this episode, I'm committing to providing transcripts for each new episode. This episode's transcription will follow a few days behind the release, but future episodes will be released at the same time or soon after. If you have other recommendations, please reach out. Before I hop off, I also want to mention our upcoming 21-day guided self-care challenge happening December 1st through the 21st in the MoveSpring app. As the year winds down, stress and overwhelm can wind us up. It's easy to forget about ourselves during this time, so we want to help you find ways to give yourself a break. Additional information and a link to sign up will be available soon, so be on the lookout for that. I'll also add it to the show notes once it's available. And on that note, the show notes contain links to everything else we mentioned in the episode. I'll also drop in a link to the HR calendar where you can browse all upcoming work life and well-being events from University of Kentucky Human Resources. Until next time, take care of yourself and others and stay well. Thanks for listening to Becoming Wildly Resilient, a podcast series from University of Kentucky Human Resources, Health and Wellness. The UK HR Health and Wellness team, consisting of certified health coaches, fitness experts, registered dietitians, and wellness specialists, offer a wide range of online and in-person programming to University of Kentucky employees, retirees, and their spouses. If you enjoyed this episode, you can listen and subscribe to future episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching at UKY Wellness. There, you'll find links to episode show notes and more. You can also email healthandwellness at uky.edu with any questions or suggestions for future episode topics. To learn more about well-being benefits offered by University of Kentucky Human Resources, visit www.uky.edu slash hr slash well-being. Live well.